So it's really good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and get back into our study of the life of Christ uh, through a harmony of the Gospels. For those of you who were here together with us last week, y'all will remember we finished up talking about how Jesus was referring to his little children, right? Little children and how they had guardian angels and how the Father in Heaven cared for them. And so we're going to kind of reemphasize some of that stuff today. But we're going to use, uh, in today's lesson, um, we're going to use uh, something that Jesus uses to teach known as a parable. Who remembers what we've talked about in the past that a parable is? What is a parable? It's a symbolic story. Good, good. A symbolic story. So it's a story that uses things that we can relate to to help us to understand things that we can't relate to. To help us to relate to the unrelatable, if you will. So um, God is God and we are human beings. And for us to be able to understand God would mean that we were God ourselves. Mm -hmm. If you've ever tried to explain the Trinity to someone or to yourself, you'll understand that it's tough to explain the Trinity. What well, is the reason for that? Because it's the nature of God, and we're not His nature. And so we have a hard time putting into words those realities, or even understanding those things. But oftentimes, Jesus would use parables as a way to teach people the things that were important. Now, if you will remember, <clears throat> a while back, it's been a couple, you know, it's been better than a year ago or so, but we talked about the parables of the seed and the sower. Remember how Jesus said that the sower went along and sowed the seeds and they landed in the soil? And depending on what kind of soil the seeds landed in, you got different outcomes with the seeds. And we, th- we talked about that. But at the beginning of that parable, Jesus said that he teaches in parables, and you would think, that the reason that he is teaching in parables is to help everyone understand. Right. But the reality is parables do not help everyone understand. Parables attract those who have a heart for his word. And we hear them and we think about them and we meditate on them and we grasp them and we try to understand them. And we see ourselves in them. Yeah, sure, of course. But to the lost, when he taught the parables, it actually pushed them away further. It confused them and made them think, this guy is crazy. What is he even talking about? So a parable can actually be a way to help determine whether I'm really his or not. Well, a biblical parable can help me to determine whether I'm really his or not. Because if I belong to him, the parable is going to attract me, it's going to um, uh, spur me to think, it's going to cause me to meditate and and dig deeper to find out, hey, what is he really and talking about? Right. Sure, sure. And, and so, it, remember in some of the parables, Jesus would teach the parables, and a lot of the people would say, this guy's crazy, he's off his rocker, and they would walk away. But then the disciples would come to Jesus, and what would they say? What What did you mean by that? You, right. you see, in other words, it, it was it was revealing who were his. Because those who were really his wanted to know what it was about. And so today we're going to talk about uh, a parabolic teaching. So if you will, turn with me. We're going to read the text that we're going to study. 
and uh, and then we'll pray and then we'll get into the lesson. So, um, so let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and we're going to look at verses 7 through 14. But today our focus is going to actually be on 12 through 14. I just want to read behind that just to get us a reminder of what we talked about last week. So it says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It would be better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into a fiery hell. So y'all remember we talked about that last week. And then watch what Jesus says in 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. All right. So it, watch what he says there in verse 10 and 11 again. Remember, the disciples had been arguing about who was the greatest. And what did Jesus do to show them who the greatest in the kingdom was? Do y'all remember what happened? He got a child. He grabbed a little child and he brought a child to him and said, unless you become like this little child, you won't even get into heaven. Right. Right. And so immediately we think that Jesus, when he says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, we immediately think that he's talking about who? Children. Children. Is he? Yes. But remember, this is a parabolic teaching. The child of God has to become childlike. That you have to be a member of the family to be a child. All right, watch what he says next. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So who is Jesus' Father? God. And what he's saying is, is that these little ones have guardian angels that are constantly seeing the face of the Father. What does that do you think that means? What does it mean by saying these angels that look over these little ones are constantly seeing the face of the Father? What does that mean? I have a note. Huh? Can I read out my study Bible? Uh, you want to read a note? Sure. It, it's a note, yeah. It says... Um, <clears throat> Do not despise further below another believer by treating him unkindly or indifferently. They're angels. This does not suggest that every believer has a personal guardian angel. Rather, the pronoun is collective and refers to the fact that believers are served by angels in general. These angels are pictured continually watching the face of God as they hear his command to help a believer when needed. It is extremely serious to treat a fellow believer with contempt since God and the holy angels are so concerned for their well-being. Good. So what does it mean? That's very good, Lord. Thank you for adding that. So watch what's happening. These angels are always in the Father's face. Mm -hmm. And what is the Father doing? Declaring His will to them. And they are these messengers. They are these ones that come to help for His will to be done. Mm -hmm. Right? So... With what we've read here, what Lori just read in her study note, we are now made aware that these little children are not just talking about a child that Jesus put in his lap. Who are these little children? Uh, we are. Us who? The believer. believer. The child of God. It's Will. Right? Uh-huh. So, it's me. 
Is there a difference in a child of Adam and a child of God? Is there a difference? So, all of us as human beings are children of who? Adam. But not all of us are children of God. We're all Adam's kids. Now, what do all of Adam's kids have in common? They sin and they die. Mm-hmm. That's what Adam's kids have in common. They die. Well, we're technically siblings. Uh, if we, if so, if we have been adopted into the family of God, yes, we're brother and sister. You're talking about in a natural sense, yes. We are all coming from one man and one woman. Yes. Hello, brother. Yeah. Hey, there you go. So that's very good that you bring that up, Julie, because in a sense. Yeah, as, as children of Adam, we are all brothers and sisters. And what do we do? We fight, we have wars, we kill one another, we abuse one another, we treat each other bad. But Jesus has told us that if you are a child of God, it means that you are a regenerate, born-again, blood-bought possession of His. He's claimed you and He's adopted you into His family and now you're His kid. And what would be the difference in one of Adam's kids and one of God's kids? We talked about this last week. Adam's kids are concerned about themselves. God's children are concerned about the Father and who? Others. You see? What is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love your, your neighbor. neighbor as yourself. So I have a quick question. Thank you for talking about that part right there. So we're technically coming from one man and one female, right? Yes. They made us human beings. So if you technically look at it, they was having incest. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of that back then. Right? So, but when you read in the Bible, you'll see that there comes a time when God make, God draws lines and says, okay, enough of this. Like, you know, specifically with the children of Israel, he puts into law things that says, hey, you don't mess with your uh, father's wife or your half-sister or your half-brother or a cousin or they put distinctions down there so uh, when we think about this fact that we are God's children God's children last week our main focus last week was if you are God's child if you are a part of God's family you will act the way that way right Mm -hmm. and how do God's children act like their father they love God and they love others. Now, what we'll see today and again next week is that this love is definitely uh, expressed to a love for family. Now, who would the family of God be? What would we What would we know the family of God as today? The church. The church. That's exactly right. The body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body. So. Can I have a common love for my fellow man who is not a Christian? Mm-hmm. Yes. But there is a specific love to my eternal family. Okay. All right? In the same way that God, does God love humanity? Yes. But he has a specific love for his children. In, the, in other words, um, 
you say, well, God's love can't be divided up or separated, which is very true. God is love. But think about uh, the fact, think about your neighbor, and he's married, right? He loves his wife, all right? Now, according to God, are you supposed to love his wife? Yes, as a neighbor. But if you go and love his wife in the same way that he loves his wife, then you're committing adultery. You see how that works? So there's a specific love between a husband and a wife that nobody else in the world can share. Oh, and it's, I, I can also compare it to like being a teacher. You love your children in your class, but your own children are a little more there, there you go. That's exactly right. And, and so it's the same way with God. God has a people who he has shed his specific love on through the sacrifice of his son. And those are his children. Those are his uh, people. And these are the little children that God is, that Jesus is warning about you causing to stumble. That, that you causing hurt to, to gossiping about other children of God. Causing division within the body. Causing division with the family. You see how that works? So look at it again. In verse 10. See to it that you despise, not despise one of these little ones. For I say their angel in heaven is continually seeing the face of my Father in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Alright? So Jesus has come to save his people. Alright? Now, look what happens in verse 12, 13, and 14. What do you think then? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying if it turns out that he finds it truly i say to you he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish okay so that's our parable that he's teaching. And what does the parable teach? There is a man. He has a hundred sheep. What does it mean to say he has a hundred sheep? Me some uh, the children of God. Probably. Good. Does this man own all of the sheep in the world? No, no he owns a hundred sheep. Right. So there's a specific number involved here, isn't there? Yeah. And he knows his sheep. Mm-hmm. All right. One of them goes astray. What does it mean to go astray? They run away. They run away. All right. Now, uh, you, you know, when you were a teenager and you got mad at your parents, you ran away. You packed some clothes up and ran out of the house. And then about six hours later when you got hungry, you, yeah, yeah, you come back home. All right. So what is it? What is it? It's not a big deal to run away if you come back. But what is so... Uh, it's devastating to Devastating for a sheep to run away. Why is it such that a big so deal? Vulnerable. Good. Sheep are vulnerable. In the Bible, when we talk about sheep, what you're going to find out is when Jesus uses sheep, it's not a it's not a metaphor for a, a, a rocket scientist. They're dumb. Sheep are dumb. Animals in general are dumb. I have a kitten, and I constantly have to make sure that I shut my commode, because if I don't, he goes in there and drinks out of the commode, mm-hmm. right? I got, yeah, and yeah, I pour him fresh water every morning in a bowl that's his, and instead of drinking the water out of the bowl that's nice and clean out of the sink, he wants to go in the toilet, you know? He's dumb, right? 
the other day, I, I opened the door and said, come on, you want to go outside? And he stood there in the door, and I let the door go, and the, the pneumatics on my door don't work too good, and he slammed his tail in the door. And he squalled, and I opened the door, and he ran out the house. But he had no idea that that door was about to get his tail. Why? Because he's done now. Every time now that he goes and stands at that door, he gets on out of the path. <laughs> he don't stand there long anymore. Right. But but when we think about sheep and we think about Jesus talking about sheep, the focus is on the shepherd and his ability to take care of the sheep, not on the talents and the uh, brains of the sheep themselves. All right? Sheep are not smart at all. And I, I have a friend of mine right now up in uh, in Bullock County. This, he, he's got a little lamb that he had to bring in his house, and they're having a bottle feed it every three hours because the mama got mastitis and she can't uh, make any milk. And now he's going to be stuck raising this little sheep. If he don't feed that sheep every three hours, what's going to happen to the sheep? It's going to die. He's going to have to take care of this sheep until it gets grown, and then he's going to eat it one day. He, he, he eats a lot of lamb. But the point being is, he has to take care of this sheep because sheep can't take care of themselves. And that's one of the things that we need to think about when we think about sheep in the Bible. Right? They don't take care of themselves. They need a shepherd. Just like we need God. Exactly right. So, he says, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? So, what would it mean for... Who are the sheep in this parable? We are. Yes, the, the children body. of God. His people. All right? And do we go astray? Yes. 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 Every day we go astray. How many of you know people, I can tell you in my own life, there was times in my life that, oh, I was really on fire for the Lord and I was going to church all the time and singing in the choir and being a good boy and then I wound up right back out in the world again. Mm-hmm. And then God wound up kicking me in the teeth, and I recognized I didn't belong there, and I repented and came back to God. And if I were to look back on the last, well, I'm 52, if I was to look back on the last 52 years of my life, I would see one ugly and brutal path that I was on that God took me through and guided me and kept me from dying, kept me from a lot of things. But... I had to walk that walk, and it was not a pretty walk. And there's things that I've done in my life, even as a child of God, that I'm ashamed of. There are things that I have done in my life that I have discounted the blood of Christ that he poured out for me. And every one of us in this room should be able to raise our hand and say, yep, me too. Right. Because the entire life of a Christian is about dying to self and living for God and others. Right? The problem is the old man that I used to be, the old Adam in me, is constantly still trying to come out. And the shepherd makes sure that over my life, I become more and more like him and less and less like Adam. But it's not a pretty picture. I have to die to myself. We're just praying for Don, one of our fellow members of this Bible study. He, I've known him for four years now, I think. And I really like the guy. But what's happened? His mind is gone. And he can't remember things. And he has Alzheimer's. And his body is breaking down. And it's very ugly, is it not? It's sad. It's debilitating. It's confusing. It's You have to recognize how helpless he is. 
And it breaks your heart to see that, right? But the reality is, every one of us in this room, our bodies are dying every right. day. And so, in the same way that I'm physically dying, the child of God is spiritually dying to the old man that he was and being more and more made like Christ. And it's an ugly picture. It is a process. Yeah, it's a process. And it's ugly. It's not something pretty. pretty. We think that it's just about Sunday clothes and, and singing in the choir. And the reality no, is it's a constant battle. Our souls and our, and our yeah, good. And All right. But what this saying. parable is going to teach us is the good shepherd has me. And he's not going to let me go. No matter how far I stray, no matter and what ditch I fall into. Us, then we wouldn't be concerned about those changes that need to be made. There you go. We wouldn't even Good. think of that. So, this man had a hundred sheep. He leaves the ninety-nine and goes after the one that has strayed. Now, the question is, does he care about the ninety-nine? Yes. Well, how in the world could he leave the 99? Because they're in a big group and they're not as vulnerable. Good. They're in the fold. They're in the fold, aren't they? How many of y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? A lot of times people think that the prodigal son is about a sinner, a lost person, uh, and them coming to God. Them coming back, isn't it? But the reality is they're a son, aren't they? The prodigal's a son. He's a member of the family. And he has gone astray. A lot like us with our addictions and relapses. Why did the prodigal come home? Because he loved the comfort of the father's home and he loved his father. And that's why he came home. And what did his father do? No, his father was there waiting for him the whole time. And look at how it shows us God's love. Look how he rejoiced when his son came back. So. He leaves the 99 and well, goes and searches. the other son, Ronnie? Hmm? The other son wasn't very happy. No, because he, he was still part of the family. Yeah, that's exactly right. But so, so when the younger son was astray in the foreign country, he could not enjoy the comfort and love of home, could he? No. Neither could the boy at home who thought that it was what he was doing that was keeping him there. Hmm. He couldn't enjoy the grace of his father either because he thought it was what he was earning instead of what had been given to him. Right. So both of them are sons. Neither one of them are able to completely enjoy what their father has provided for them until they come to him. Remember that dad had to come out on the porch and try to get the older brother to come in the house and enjoy he the what? Want right. They enjoy what? The grace and the celebration. Did, 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 did they ever reconcile? Uh, you'll have to ask. You'll have to ask Jesus. It's a parable. What do you think? I'll make a note of it. Yeah. And the story of the prodigal. Remember, Jesus is talking to two groups of people. He's talking to the, the sinners and the uh, prostitutes and the tax collectors, and he's also talking to the religious conservatives. He's talking to both groups. So who would the children be? The ones that truly come to the Father, that truly belong to the Father. And uh, and if you remember in the par- parable of the prodigal, the the Pharisee said, "We have a father. His name is you know Abraham is our father." Yeah. That would be the same as me and you saying Adam is our father, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of being a, a a family member of the family of Adam or of Abraham. Being a Jew or a Gentile, 
is have you been born again? Are you adopted into the kingdom? Are you a child of God? And so he 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 comes and he finds the sheep and he rejoices over it more than the ninety nine which have gone astray. Right? Does that mean he loves the, the, this one more than the ninety nine? No. But this one has given them an opportunity to express his grace and his love and his power to to save them. Right? Now, what we want to focus on. At the end of this parable, look at verse 14 because this is very, very important for us to see. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Alright? Read that again. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Think about what Jesus is saying there. The will of God is that none of his children will perish. So, is it possible that a child of God is burning in hell today? No. No. Because if they are burning in hell, they are perishing. And that's not God's will. Right. And if they're burning in hell, that means they're not God's child because they were in hell. That's exactly right, Jay. You're exactly right. They have not accepted... Jesus Christ is our Savior. And more importantly, Christ has not accepted them. And hell wasn't made for men anyway. It was made for angels. It was made for Satan and his angels and all of those that follow him. So, what I want to do, look again at that. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. So who are these little ones? God's children, his sheep. Right. Who is it that goes and chases after the lost sheep? The shepherd. So what I want to do is I want to go back to the Old Testament. I want to look at a few passages and give you some things to think about. Then we're going to come back into the New Testament and look at a couple things to think about as well. First one will be very familiar to you. Let's turn to Psalm 23. Now remember, look what it says. The Lord... That capital L-O-R-D is Yahweh, Jehovah. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. You notice how personal that is? What is David saying? The Lord is my shepherd. That makes me his sheep. There's a there's a family tie there. He's the shepherd. I'm his sheep. I shall not want. All right. What causes us to roam and to get lost and to go astray? Our wants. Yeah. Our desires. Right? If I'm resting in what the shepherd has provided for me, I will not stray. He makes me to lay down in the green pastures. Right? That's not him letting you do what you want to do. He makes me lay down in the green pastures. Sheep are constantly getting into eating the wrong kind of stuff and messing their stomachs up and getting sick. You right. see? He makes sure that I'm in a place where I can feed on what it is that I need to feed on. What is it that the child of God feeds on? The Word, the of, God. Word of God. Good. He yeah. makes me lay down the creep patch. He leads me beside the peaceful, the quiet, the still waters. Right. Right? Um, I'm doing, I'm studying right now, talking about the difference in our the carnal man and the spiritual man and it says that that life in the with life in the spirit there is peace when we are walking with god when christ is in us and we are in christ there is peace in our lives peace be still that's what jesus said to the storm remember 
He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. What that means is I have his name. When you're a child, you get your father's name. Right. And you carry it with you wherever you go. Right. But when you buy something and you sign a contract, you put your name to it. You're putting your what? Promise to it. And all of us in this room have probably defaulted on a loan or a bill before in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So what that means is we've signed our name to something and we didn't follow through with what we promised. Right. But the reality is that your name is written, if you are a child of God, if you are a born-again believer, if you know in your heart, if you are his child, then that means that his promise of eternal life has been written, your name, in his book of life, and his blood. And it's never going to be erased. So if you have his name... You have his promise. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. Mike, we were talking about this after class the other day. Uh, I asked Mike, I said, Mike, when you go to heaven, what are you going to tell God? Why, why should he let you in? And you, say, and you said, well, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Mike said, well, because I accepted you, I accepted you as my Savior. And I said, well, Mike, you're telling him that it's because of something you did that you need to get into heaven. And what the only answer that we should give him when we stand before him one day I'm is, your child. I'm your child. You promised. Right. It's your promise. promise. It's certainly, I don't deserve it. And it's not because I deserve anything, but you gave me your promise. And I'm trusting in your promise. I like how you put that. All right? So, he guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. He's given me his name. I'm his child. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they cover me. Now, a rod and a staff is what the shepherd uses to keep the sheep in line. He cracks them across the head with it. He reaches out with the little bow peep hook on the end of it and pulls them back into the fold. Right? And he mm-hmm. also uses that rod to protect his sheep from the attack. Right? So it's a defense. De- it's a defense for the shepherd. To protect his sheep, and it's also a rod of correction. Does God discipline us? Yes. Yes. Does he protect us? Yes. Yes. All right. Um, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is a promise. And David is singing this promise back to God as an expression of what the shepherd has done for him as his sheep okay does that make sense mm-hmm. all right go to the right a little bit and let's look at isaiah 53 all right isaiah 53 isaiah. all right now as we read this listen to what it says um who has believed this is isaiah 53 who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. He had no form or majesty that we would look upon him, nor appearance that we would even be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb that is led to a slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered it? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men and yet... He was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. All right. Who is that talking about? Jesus. What, what do you mean it's talking about Jesus? What do you mean? Explain that. That's everything that happened to Jesus. That's everything that happened to Jesus. Now, what is beautiful about that is this was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It... It was Ezekiel, the uh, Isaiah the prophet, telling the children of Israel, this is what your Messiah is going to look like when he comes. So how he already knew that? Huh? How he already knew that? Because he's God. And the promise... No, she's asking, how did Isaiah already know? Because God gave the him The Spirit of God gave him those words to write. So that we would know what the Messiah looks like when he comes. But the Jews missed it. Yep, they certainly did. Same way we did. I was listening to a, um, a Jewish man on the radio yesterday, and and he tried to convince his family he read Isaiah 53, yep. and he found his Savior. So yep. he tried to convince his family, and they threw him out of the house. All right. Yep. Right. So so watch what's happening here. The promise is being expressed 700 years before it ever happened. Right. It was actually expressed before then. And when Adam and Eve fell, God told Eve, he said, one day the woman's going to have a baby that's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to bruise his heel and he will bruise his head. He said there's going to be a battle going on and one day God is going to bring someone to crush the serpent. And then he told Abraham this. He said, through your seed all of the world will be blessed. He said, uh, and you will have more children than there are stars right. in the sky than uh, sands on the seashore. Now, he wasn't just talking about Abraham's natural seed, which would have been Jacob and, and Isaac and Ishmael and, and Esau. And he was talking about all of the children of faith. All of those that have faith, like Abraham. Those are God's Muslims children. And the Arabs, they, they were children of Ishmael. Ishmael. But did they have faith like Abraham? No. Not in the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, it's very important for us to see that this promise has been being played out all through history. Why? Because God is keeping his promise. As the good shepherd, he's been taking care of his sheep all along. There was David, and there was Elijah, and there was Moses, and there was Noah, and there was Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, and Peter and James and John. And today in this very room, his children are sitting around studying his word, right? He is the good shepherd, and he is definitely making sure that he takes care of his sheep. All right, now I want to jump ahead, and I want to go. But well, before we jump ahead, I want you to look at something really quick in verse uh, 11 of Isaiah 53. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, who is the righteous one? 
Jesus. My servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he, because he has poured out himself to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He died for the many. Right. And now what does he do? He intercedes for the transgressors. He's the good shepherd. What does it mean to intercede? It means to step in and help out. Mm-hmm. All right. So what it's saying is when he was dying on the cross, he was dying for the many. When Jesus gave his disciples the last supper, this is what he said. This is the blood of my co- this is the blood of my covenant. Right. My blood that was poured out for the many. Right. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. It's a special thing that Jesus did on that cross. He knew every single one of his sheep, and he paid for every single one of their sins. And he did not say it is finished until he had drank the wrath that we deserve. And if we truly belong to him, we will come to him. We will know him as uh, Jesus, as our Savior. We will know God as our Father. All right, so let's go ahead, jump ahead with me to uh, John. Let's go to John chapter 6. I gotta, I'm going to have to hurry because we got started late. John chapter 6. Yep, but we want to try to finish up this lesson today if we can. Uh, look with me. And John 6. Yep. John 6 and verse... 29. Jesus answered and said to him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him and he and him whom he has sent. So Jesus is telling this group of people, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So how does God work? He gives faith to those so that they can believe in him who he has sent. Who did he send? Jesus. Jesus. All right. Now watch what it says. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we can see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness and it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you that bread out of heaven, but it was my father. It is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said that you have seen, and yet you do not believe. So he's talking to a group of people that do not believe him. Right. They're asking him to show them miracles. This is what Jesus says in verse uh, 37. All. How many is all? Everybody. Everyone that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. So if you come to God in faith, the reason you come to God in faith is because the Father has given you to Jesus. He said, Jesus, this one belongs to you. 
And how do we know that we belong to him? Because he died on the cross to claim us, to redeem us, to purchase us out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. Now read that again. That's very important. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So does that mean that there's someone that the Father has given to Jesus that will never come and die and go to hell? No. No. Because all that the Father has given him will come. How do you know if the Father is, how do you know if you're his child? Because you will come to him. Right. All right, look what he says. I come down out of heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. All right, listen again. Jesus came down out of heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, do y'all remember in our passage in Matthew today? It is the will of the Father that none should what? Perish. Perish. So what is the will of the Father that none of those should perish? And so what does Jesus come to do? The will of his Father. And how do we know that none will perish? Because whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And who are the ones that will believe on him? All that the Father has given them. Mm -hmm. This is the will of him who sent me that all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Right? Now, one more thing, and then we'll close the class. Turn with me over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. All right, starting in verse 10. John 10, verse 10. You ready? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, who is the thief in this? The devil. And what does he come to do? To steal and kill and destroy. All right. Uh, Do you think that the devil passed that trait down to Adam? To steal, kill, and destroy? Yes. Yeah, he certainly did. Yes. Right? We're all born to sin. Yep, that's exactly right. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Does the good shepherd lay his life down for the goats? No. No. All right. For the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he is the one who, uh, the owner of sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches him and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. So the true shepherd is concerned for his sheep. How much is he concerned for them? Enough to lay his life down for them. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will come and then we'll be one flock with one shepherd. So remember, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people here. And what did he say? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Right. All right. So, in other words, Julian was saying earlier, that means we're all related. Yes, we're all Adam's kids, but we all come, our genetics all come from different parts of the world, don't they? 
That's why we have different skin tones. That's why we speak different languages. That's why I have a different hair color, eye color, etc. We're all sheep, but we're sheep from different folds. And what did Jesus say? I've got sheep that are of other folds, and I'm going to go get them too. Now that should bring us right to our parable that we had today. What happened? The sheep do what? They go astray, and what does the good shepherd do? He He always goes and finds them. That's exactly right. All right. Now, uh, it says, uh, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. I want you to hear what he said. Look in verse 26. Or verse 25. The Jew, uh, verse 24. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So what did he say? I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I know my sheep and nobody's going to take them out of my hands. Nobody can take them out of my hands. All right. Now, really quickly, and then we're done. Look back at Matthew 18 where we started today. Matthew chapter 18. And what does it say? It said a man had a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray. He leaves the ninety-nine on the mountain and goes and searches for the one that is stray. If he turns out he finds it, he says he rejoices over it more than the other ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. So, in what ways is the Father? In what ways is the Good Shepherd searching for us today? How, how, what is the means and the method that God uses to search for his sheep today? His word. His word. His word. That's exactly yeah. right. And preachers go out and preach the word. Right. And what did he say? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And when they hear my voice, what do they do? They, they come. So how do you know if you're sheep? How do you know if you're his sheep? When you hear yeah. his voice, you come to it. I do have one question. Yes. Like, um... That, that that Murdoch family up there in Hampton County, I used to know some of those people. They were very rich, very arrogant. They got a lot of power. They've been running the prosecutor's office for 100 years. But, you know, they go to church and say they're saved and all that. And then apparently one or two of them are killers. They've had like five people die in their presence. Y'all been keeping up with that. I don't know them people. But anyway, are they unsaved or were they never saved? I, I can't answer about the condition. Right. Uh, I, I don't know their eternal condition, but I can't. You, um, say I, anybody. But, but what does the Bible Jesus. tell us? It says that murderers, they and murderers, it says murderers and thieves and drunkards right, will not inherit the kingdom. And then it says this, and some, and some of you were such. But God showed his mercy on you. So in other words, if you truly are a child of God, are there people that are murderers that are children of God? Yes. yes. Moses killed. Remember, Moses killed somebody. Oh, that's right. Yeah. David did, David did too. Indirectly. Right. Uh, but the difference in a child of God and a child of the world is not that we sin. 
because we all do. We all sin and fall short of the God. But his sheep will come to him for forgiveness. Right. His sheep recognize that the things that they have done as the very cause of why he poured it, had to pour his blood out on the cross to pay for our sins. So if you truly are his child, you will be sorrowful of your sin and you will return to him. There are some people that dress themselves up like sheep and they're really wolves. Right? And matter of fact, all, what you'll find is in the scripture, the devil is a mix master. Like he loves to mix stuff up. He constantly tried to get the Jew, uh, the Israelites to go out and marry the Canaanites because he knew if he could get them to marry Canaanites and they'd, they'd start worshiping the false gods and stuff. And so he loves to mix things together. Is that what happened in Judea or wherever the, they were half Jews? And yep, uh, Samaria. Samaria, yeah. That was half Syrian and half Jews. But, but so, so watch. Uh, <coughs> the Bible tells us that on the last day that his angels will go out and separate the sheep and the goats. That's not our job. My job is not to go around and try to decide whether you're a sheep or whether you're a goat. That's all my, I am commanded to preach his word. Why? Because it is his word that draws his sheep. And it is also his word that repels the goats. Yeah. So, I hope that this parable gives you confidence in your life to know that you have a God who loved you enough to send his son to pour his blood out for you and save you. And the reason that you are saved is not because you're good, it's because you're his. Right. That's very important to remember. But if you truly are his, we learned last week and this week, if you truly are his, you're going to love him and you're going to love the family. Right. All right. We are late. All right. And Lord says we are late. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation. And thank you for your son, Jesus, our good shepherd. Lord, I pray that every man and woman in this room knows you as Lord and Savior. And if there be someone within the sound of my voice who has never trusted you, and it is you who is calling them, please grant them a heart of repentance and help them to know your salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.